Morning, friends. Good to see you guys today. My name is Nathan. Welcome to Emmaus Church Community. Hope you come right in. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to end in Luke. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. I'm going to be in chapter 12. So that's going to be real close to the front. Um, and then if you're seated on an aisle and there's a basket underneath your seat or you can reach one, would you do that and pass it down? And if this is your first time here or you've got a change of address or you'd like to pass off some sort of a comment or a prayer request, go ahead, grab a card, fill it out and uh, turn it back in when we receive the offering in a little bit and we will communicate that way. All right, well, before I start with the teaching piece of our gathering this morning, I just want to make a brief comment about the nature of who we are as a church. Um, as you know, our, our core value here is transformation. Therefore, there are several things that we do here that push back against this um, posture of simply consuming or simply receiving or simply watching. Uh, Involvement is important. Involvement is important because transformation happens when you're involved, right? Involvement is important because this is something that we don't want to just observe. You're welcome to observe. People need to observe for a while as they're sort of considering Christianity, right? But there's a point at which you can only really experience the truth of Christianity from within, and so there comes a point where we need to get involved. So, Fast forward a bit, and the dynamic that really takes a, a major role in our community is this dynamic of volunteering. We are constantly asking for volunteers because there's a constant requirement for help. Uh, that we're always being asked to help in a variety of situations. Everything from setting things up to providing food for people who have just finished surgery or just had a baby to the, the real crisis stuff, the calls at the middle of the night kind of stuff. Um, that's always going on. It's always going on. And because we're always being asked to help and we're always needing to serve people, we are always asking for help. And, and, I, and I just want to, so right now we're in a season where that knob's turned up even higher because of the extra responsibilities and um, uh, realities involved with the fact that we're moving to this downtown location in a, in a few weeks. In fact, in three weeks. This is, we meet here, we meet here two more weeks after today, and then we're downtown April 2nd. So um, I simply want to say this as, as, our, as your pastor, as your friend and pastor, that uh, I hope that we can be graceful to one another in this process where many of us are serving Many of us are being asked to lead service teams. Therefore, they're asking for more people to serve. And then there are a few of us on staff who are leading at that level as well. So thank you, huge thank you, because almost every single one of you serves. Some of your serving roles include asking other people to serve, and that becomes really challenging in seasons where everybody feels pretty much tapped out. Is he saying I should always say yes? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should always say yes when people ask you to do something more. You need to have a healthy balance, and you can't say yes to everything. Uh, I am saying, understand, please, that some people have been asked your job is to find 15 people to do this. Now go. And so be graceful to those folks who are like, man, I got to find 15 people. It's been four weeks and I've got two yeses. Um, let's, let's be graceful to each other and understand that part of the process is this ongoing 
effort. Uh, kind of like, you know, my, my wife gets a bad rap in our house because she's always giving the kids chores to do. Well, that's what moms do, right? That's what moms do. They, they, they're the ones that say, these are the things that need to be done today. Um, and the kids are supposed to do those things, right? Right. Um, yeah. So um, mostly a big thank you for the huge, um, the huge commitment to participation and to service that, that, uh, that you as a church demonstrate consistently. I know that several of you are just doing a variety of things at the same time, and, um, and I'm grateful for it. And I, I pray for balance and health in that. And uh, thank you to those of you who are willing to serve and lead and uh, ask that um, God will continue to give us help to be a healthy community, right, where we can serve other people. We are a service organization in, in the end. Um, we serve God and we serve others because that's what Jesus did. Let's pray together and uh, I'll kick into a teaching here. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, grateful that folks are here today. Pray for energy and clarity for us today to engage in a, uh, a difficult topic. Um, I pray for peace for each of us to bring into your presence the real issues in our life. Courage and peace. It's okay. It's okay. I can bring this to God. This is a very frightening fear, but I can bring it to God. This is a real need. It's overwhelming. I'm going to bring it to God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your perspective today uh, from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so um, there is a story. It's called the Bible. And the story of the Bible is essentially the story of God revealing himself to humanity. Right? What's the Bible? It's the story of God revealing God's self to humanity. But before God revealed himself to humanity, he revealed himself to a nation. Right? And before he revealed himself to a nation, before that nation was actually a nation, it was a race. And before it was a race, you could probably better describe it as a group of 12 tribes. And before it was 12 tribes, it was just 12 brothers. And before it was 12 brothers, it was just a family. And the family began with one guy. His name was Abram, and he lived in a place called Ur. Everybody say Ur. Ur. Very nice. The whole story of the Bible is the story of God revealing himself to the whole world. But he begins with one dude in this place called Ur. And this is how the story begins. It's in Genesis chapter 12. Um, now, what about Genesis 1 through 11? Well, Genesis 1 through 11, sidebar, is often taken as a section in and of itself because Genesis 1 through 11 is truly ancient history. We got the creation account, you got the epic flood, you got the origin of man, you got the beginning of languages, you got the beginning of people groups, okay? It's strange, it's poetic, it's mysterious. People who live in four, five hundred, six hundred years. Nobody really knows how much time elapses from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. It's ancient. But then Genesis 12 happens. And from that point on, we can trace one family all the way through the 2,000 years leading up to Jesus. All right? So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. And we can see how this one man, this one patriarch or father figure establishes himself essentially or is established as the father of our faith. This is how the story begins. The Lord has had said, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household 
to the land I will show you. So what's the very first thing that we learn about what God says to Abram? Go. I mean, that's the first thing God says to him is, is some, translate, some people translate it, leave your home. Others, it's go. I'll show you why in a, in a second. So the story in Genesis 12 is the story of this massive announcement that's going to characterize the people of God forever. But it's important to see, and I'll show you that announcement in a second, but it's important to see that the announcement begins with this command to go. Here's the announcement. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So the big news is that God is going to make Abram into this huge nation through which God will bless all the peoples on the earth. But before any of that is going to take place, Abram is told to do one thing. What is it? Go. Leave home. Leave your people. Leave your father's house. Leave everything that is familiar to you. Leave your land. Go. Where am I supposed to go? He doesn't even get told that. He doesn't even get to know out of the gate. I will show you. One command at a time. You get the first step. Go. That's the first thing. It's one of the many times in the Bible when there's this big, huge, complex issue, but it's recorded in such simplicity that it's really easy to just read right over the top of it. The Lord had said to Abram, leave, verse 4, so Abram went, just as the Lord had said. Seems easy on paper, right? In fact, I think it would be incredibly challenging. It's the beginning of this huge monumental story of change, and it's going to roll out. The story of change is going to roll out over much of Genesis, and it's tremendously important. But today, I simply want to, be, I want to focus on how it begins. I want to talk about how the story begins. This story of God changing the world begins with a simple command. Go. Leave. In the original language, it's this word, yalak. Mostly, it's translated go. Second most often, it's translated walk, which is cool. Sometimes it's translated come. Sometimes it's translated depart. All right, two ideas to start. Two ideas. One big picture idea, one big picture truth, and then uh, next step truth. Here's the big picture truth. There are lots of voices in the world telling us to change. But when God calls you to change, it is because he is calling you into something which is creative. When God calls you to change, it is because he is creating something. He is doing a new thing. So his motive for calling you to change is always that he is creating. He is making something new. That's the big picture. Here's the next step, the immediate next step truth. And this is what I want to focus on today. There's this pattern in Scripture. It's repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And it's this, that before you receive that big new thing that God wants to do in and through you, before you receive it, According to the pattern, you often need to leave. You need to leave in order to receive. And it's not that, it's not, asterisks here, it's not leaving in the sense of abandoning, okay? Not abandoned sense of leave. Uh, abandonment is never, not even one time in Scripture, held up as a good thing. God never calls us to abandon. Abandoning is always negative because abandoning is against the character of God. God never abandons. 
So we're never called to abandon. When I say leave, I mean leaving in the sense of being called forth, being brought to a new place, being told to go, being compelled. I must begin this new journey, right? We, we never begin a journey in a vacuum and so it's always necessary, if I'm going to go somewhere, I must leave somewhere else. If I'm going to go to high school, I've got to leave junior high. If I'm going to go on a vacation, I've got to leave home. If I'm going to start my day, I've got to leave my bed. That was challenging this morning, right? I had to leave in order to receive what I'm supposed to do today. We often need to leave before we can receive what's next for us in God's plan for us. Question, why couldn't God just have developed a whole new nation of people through Abram in Ur. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what was wrong with Ur. Maybe nothing was wrong with Ur. I don't think it had anything to do with Ur. I think it's probably because something happens in the change of leaving. Because the pattern of God calling people to leave before they receive, it's all over the Bible. It's just all over the Bible. Apparently, some kind of change is needed at times in order for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And something about leaving seems to create the space that is required for that change to happen. So for Lent, I'm teaching through this series of reflections on change. I've titled the series Change Is. Last week I said change is constant. It is always the way it is. Change is constant. Today, I want to argue for a few minutes that change is needed. Change is needed. Right? So I want to look at that on three levels. And then I want to look at Jesus' most famous teaching about change. And then I want to talk about balloons. And then I want to talk about fire. And then we'll be done. You with me? All right, good. So first, sometimes the change that is needed is physical. For instance, Abram is called to leave his home in Ur to move to a place where God was going to show him to go. It's a physical change. Hundreds of years after that, there's a guy named Moses. He's called to leave Midian and return to where he grew up. It's not always leaving where you grew up. Moses, Hebrew guy, adopted into an Egyptian family where Hebrews are slaves, by the way, leaves as an adult, goes to a place called Midian, later in his adult life, called to go back to Egypt. A physical change in order to receive what God wants to do at that season in Moses' life. Hundreds of years after that, guy named Nehemiah called to leave his position as a, in the palace of a, of a foreign king to return to the, the, like the capital city of the Jewish people, Jerusalem, which is now in ruins. And Nehemiah is going to leave the palace of a foreign king to return to, his, to the people's home to rebuild the city. In other words, he's got to leave in order to receive what God wants to do in and through him. So sometimes in order to receive what God wants to do, what God wants to give, you actually need to physically leave. In two weeks and two hours, we're going to physically leave this place, right? We are literally, there's a group of guys that are going to unpack that trailer and load up some trailer, unpack that closet and load up trailer. We're going to leave two weeks and two hours from now, right? So that's that. Some people are like, hallelujah. Some people even this morning were like, man, I like this place. Right? And, and there's a, there, I remember the first day I walked in there, I walked in that back door with C.J. Hatlevig. We walked in here and I walked and went, wow, this is beautiful. I love this place. 
because we started the church in First Street School, this little cafeteria where you preached here and the bathroom was right here. I mean, it was, it was not, so I was super stoked to come into this place and there was the right time and what God wanted to do after a year at First Street School, apparently we need to move and, and, and we need to come to a new place to receive, a, new, a physical change in order to receive what God wanted to do in and through us. And I've just become convinced, and apparently you have too, because you voted like 99 to 1, to, to go from this place to a downtown location. We actually voted to buy a theater. And there was a season in my life when I was like, I'm going to rent forever. Churches that own property are missing the boat. That's a total waste of money. We just got to rent, 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 rent forever. Well, it's kind of gotten old, hasn't it? I mean, it's, been, <laughs> it's like... It's been almost 12 years, and we've been setting up and tearing down, and it's not, I've told somebody this morning, it's not the setting up that's hard, it's the tearing it down. Oh, that's so, it's like defeating, right? And thank God, uh, he provided for us this very humble, reasonable solution. We don't, we're not going millions of dollars into debt like most churches are that buy a facility. We only owe 200 grand left on this mortgage. We're going to pay this thing off in 2017, right? But it's time for us to move in order to, it's a physical move time for us again, right? In order for our church community, we believe, we're just following God the best we can, but it seems like the way he's directed us is that in order for our church community to become what it's supposed to become and to do what it's supposed to do, we need a physical change at this point, right? And I imagine it won't be the last one. There'll be other physical changes that are required of us down the road. All right, so, so second, second, sometimes change is physical, sometimes change is, oh, I had that slide. There's the slide, don't forget. <laughs> April 2. Second, uh, sometimes change is personal. And by personal, here's what I mean by personal, sometimes change affects our identities, our actual personal identities. We need to change. We need to grow up, just to be frank. We need to grow up. In order to do what God wants us to do, change needs to occur, and we need to actually become the person who can do what it is that God wants us to do. You see this all through Scripture. God calls Moses, and Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. I can't do what you're calling me to do, right? What's the solution? He's got to become, trusting on the power of God, he's got to become the man that can lead the people, out of, out of Egypt. We see so many examples of this in the Bible. And sometimes, this is so interesting, in order to highlight the change that is needed, the name of the person is changed. The name of the key person in the story is changed. Isn't that interesting? They get a new name. We don't change names in our culture, so this probably seems a little weird to us. But this happens all over the place in the Bible. The change of the name is always connected to a bigger personal or identity change that is taking place. The very first example we see of this is when God changes Abram's name. 24 years after he calls Abram to leave Ur, he changes Abram's name. He reiterates the call on his life, and this is what he says. This is in Genesis 17, if you want to find it in your Bibles, otherwise it's here. God says to Abram, no longer will you be called Abram, means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, it means father of many, for I have made you a father of many nations. It hasn't, nothing's happened yet, right? This is the tension. 
God says to Abram, you're going to be called Abraham because I have, past tense, made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And God continues to roll out this big picture of what he's about to accomplish. Then he says this about Abram's wife. As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Man, how do you respond to a personal identity change like this from God? Look at, it's so radical what is being done here by God in Abram's life. It's so radical. Look at how he responds. Verse 17 of chapter 17. Abram fell face down. Imagine falling face down. Abram fell face down and laughed and said to himself, will a son be born, it should say born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at age 90? This is incredulous, right? This is a massive radical change. And it's not only in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament as well. Real quick, a story from the New Testament. Jesus changes the names of one of his disciples. Do you remember this? He changes the name Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. So Jesus has asked Simon, Simon, who do, people, who do you believe that I am? Everybody's got their opinion. Simon, who do you believe I am? And Simon says, you are, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And so Jesus says, you're right. And he announces this big change that's going to happen. And the big change is that Jesus is going to establish a new people, a new called out group. So in the Old Testament, the called out group is the Hebrew people. God's going to do everything with this group of people and show everybody else what God's what the reign of God is like. In the New Testament, Jesus is like, I'm going to expand that. I'm a new called out people. And the word he uses is ecclesia, which is translated the church. And Jesus said, I'm going to build the church on you, Simon, and on your confession of truth about who I am. Therefore, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. It means, listen, we're going to call you Petra. We're going to call you rock because on this rock, I will build my church is what Jesus says. In other words, this is who I will change you to be. This is the new thing I'm doing in you. You must change. You must change from the listener to the rock. It's not be a different person. It's grow up. It's become more fully who you truly are, right? Become the mature version of who you are. Now, friends, maybe your name hasn't changed but you can relate to a personal moment of change or a personal moment of maturity or becoming. I heard a story about a guy who walked into an office, uh, like a business meeting, and he saw somebody he hadn't seen in 15 years, and the guy goes, Don, always late Don. And it made Don mad. He was like, I'm Don always on time, Don. Like, that was a long time ago I was always late. I've changed, I've grown up, I'm a successful businessman, I'm Don always on time. He was really kind of bent about it, right? Somebody in our community told me, I am no longer going to feel sorry for myself. Big personal decision to make a change. I'm not doing the victim thing anymore. It's not me. That's past tense. I know I used to do that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, I'm going I'm to step up. I'm going to become truer, the truer version of, of who I am. So much admiration for that. Sometimes change is physical. We've got to leave a place to receive a new thing that God is doing in us. Sometimes change is personal. We need to leave an immature version of ourselves. We need to step into a fuller, more complete, more mature version of ourselves. Finally, 
change is always spiritual. I would say it always can be spiritual. Um, I'm leaving my notes here. Change is spiritual. Uh, what I mean here is that place matters and um, names matter. God calls us to a physical change and a personal change, and the, but the reason he does that is because of something spiritual. At the core is the spiritual change. In other words, if all that changes is, is Emmaus Church no longer meets at 1561 Joyner Parkway and now meets at 561 Lincoln Boulevard, and that's all that changes, I would argue that we will have missed the point. Right? If all that changes is the name on the theater goes from Heritage Church to Emmaus Church, that's the only thing that changes. We missed it. We missed it. We swung and we missed. Right? The physical change, the nominal or personal or identity change, it must simply be because there's a deeper thing happening, and that is an actual spiritual change. The big picture truth is that when God calls you to change, it's because he's doing something creative. He's doing a new thing. He's making something new and at the core, that's always spiritual. We gotta see that, gotta see that. It can be hard to see, and I think that's why Jesus addresses it. So let's go to Jesus' most famous teaching on change, and I'll do this briefly, but this is in Luke chapter seven, and it's this parable of the wineskins, which is interesting. Is it seven or five? It's in your notes. Five, thanks, five. Um, a wineskin's like an old school bottle. Right? Maybe you still see like hikers wearing or using these things, but it's like a, it's not a bottle. It's a leather pouch in which uh, fluid or specifically wine would be held. Um, here's what happens. Here's what has happened in this story. Jesus has called a notorious sinner, a tax collector, a dude named Levi, to be one of his 12 apprentices. And it's scandalous. It's crazy. And Levi throws a party. So, oh my goodness, I don't have to be a traitor to my own people anymore, pulling taxes out of them. I can be an apprentice to this respected rabbi. I'm going to throw a party. Well, who does, he, who does the sinner invite to a party? All the sinner friends, right? They all come. And so Jesus is having dinner with all these folks. He's taking this welcoming a sinner idea to a whole new level. He's sharing table fellowship with a guy that most religious people won't even look at. And the Jewish establishment is trying to figure this out. The Jewish establishment is trying to figure out how does the ministry of Jesus fit into this tradition that we've been following for 2,000 years all the way back to Abraham. And Jesus' response is essentially, in its current form, it doesn't. In the current form of our religion, my ministry doesn't really fit. Change is needed. Okay, this is the point. A spiritual change, a change that is, and the, in the core it is spiritual, is what's needed. It's gonna look different. There's gonna be physical differences. There's different personal or identity. People are gonna change. The people who are in are gonna be different now than the people who used to be in. So that's what's happened, and here's what Jesus actually says. He told him a parable, which is a story with a, with a surprising point, right? No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment which is a waste, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Changes it up a little bit, same point. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins because the new wine is still going to ferment for a while, expand, contract. The new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wine skins. 
So the basic idea, friends, is that new things require new containers. Okay, the old forms, they can't contain the new work that God wants to do. So Jesus wants to welcome sinners into his inner circle. Sinners don't fit into the old form, and so change is needed. Don't forget, it's the same essential substance. Jesus isn't talking about orange juice. He's still talking about wine, right? But, and wine is a metaphor for new life. But, but the new version, the new version of the same essential substance doesn't fit in the old form. What's new doesn't fit in what's old. So what do you do? You just go find some old wine, pour it into your old wineskin? No, you don't. You find a new wineskin that is flexible enough to handle the new wine. Because God is always working. God is always creating. God is always doing new things. So there's always a need for new containers. Always a need for new wineskins. There will always be a need for change. And then here's what's really interesting in Luke's account of this parable. It's in three Gospels. Only Luke includes this last statement. It's surprising. Jesus ends this by saying this. And no one, some of you are going to love this, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For they say the old is better. Of course it is. Of course the old is better. It's aged, it's matured, it's become what it was intended to become, right? Was it always that way? No, it wasn't always that way. Once, it was new. And thank God, someone had a long enough range vision to see the need for the new, to make room for the new, to create a container that would fit the new so that in time the new would grow, mature, and become all that it was supposed to be, right? The problem is not that it's, right, the old wine is better. Yes, the problem is that we think the old wine skin is better. You see the difference? Yeah, the old wine is better. Absolutely, it's matured, it's become, the, but we think the old wine skin, the container, the old form, no. It's not, it's just a wine skin. It's just a container. Change is needed, okay? Change is needed. Okay, two more ideas really quickly. One's about balloons. Uh, Seth Godin, this is a great idea. Nick and I read this book. It's from the book Tribes, and it's a great book about um, community. And in this book, Seth Godin writes about the benefits of change. He says, I'm not sure if you've ever visited a balloon factory. Probably not. The people who work in the balloon factory are timid. They're afraid even. They're very concerned about pins, needles, and porcupines. They don't like sudden changes in temperature. Sharp objects are a problem as well. The balloon factory isn't really a bad place to work. If you rationalize it a bit, it's steady work with a bit of a rush around New Year's. The rest of the time, it's quiet and peaceful, and it's not so scary, except when unicorns show up. At first, the balloon factory folks shush the unicorn and warn him away, and that often works. But sometimes the unicorn ignores and wanders into the factory anyway, and that's when everyone runs for cover. It's amazingly easy for a unicorn to completely disrupt a balloon factory. And that's because the factory is organized around a single idea, and that's the idea of soft, quiet stability. And the unicorn changes all of that. Right? So the balloon factory is all about the status quo, and leaders change the status quo. That's Seth Godin. 
And I would add, you know what? God changes the status quo. God changes the status quo. And it's not because God is not into quiet stability. It's that even more important to God than quiet stability is real transformation, real ongoing change. God's design for you is to be continually formed into his likeness. Your calling from God is to always be more and more, always be more and more becoming the person that God created you to be. We are, each of us, created and redeemed to be holy and whole people. And that means that in a very real sense, there is never any spiritual retirement. It just doesn't exist, right? There, there is no moving to Florida, spiritually speaking. It just, you just can't, you can't say, okay, I've done my 65 and a half years or whatever it is, and, I, and now I'm done. God wants you to continually grow in wisdom and in holiness, and it can be really easy to get comfortable. And we all have our reasons why that the way it is is the way it should stay. So sometimes, to borrow from Seth's analogy, God sends a unicorn into our balloon factories to lovingly catalyze us out of our complacency and to move us to action because he cares too much about you for you to stay the same. You need to mature some more. You need to grow some more. You need to become some more. Finally, uh, I thought about fire. Um, some of you know we heat our house with a wood stove. And so for the last several months, up until just the last couple days actually, we've spent several full days cutting trees, loading them up, splitting the wood, stacking the wood. Every day part of our routine is to bring wood inside the house, build a fire, right? This is how we warm our house. It's one thing to build a fire and it's another thing to tend a fire. And sometimes it can appear that the fire is burning out, but all that's really needed is for somebody to stoke the fire, right? Because the pieces of wood, they've all burned down just a little bit and in the process they've gotten a little smaller and they've kind of drifted apart. And so they've cooled off and they feel like, oh man, the, the fire's going out. And, in, and if it's left alone, it will go out, right? But, but all that you really need to do is stoke it. You just need to come in there and you need to move the pieces of wood back closer together, arrange them a little bit differently, poke it a little bit, get the thing going a little bit, and then it, it reignites and the, and the fire burns and the warmth continues for several more hours. We're in the season of Lent. Maybe God wants... Um, maybe God wants to send a unicorn into the balloon factory of your soul because what you need is to kind of be like startled into catalytic sort of motion. Maybe you need to go, whoa, I have gotten really comfortable and I need to move. And so maybe, and, and I would say maybe what you need is sort of a disruption, a personal disruption. And maybe you've embraced some sort of a, a Lenten discipline and maybe this last week it kind of whatever, it didn't really do much. I would say you better up it. <laughs> you better make it a little bit more, a little more disruptive because that's the point of it. You want to be disrupted in this season. You want to recognize your need to not become complacent, right? Maybe what, maybe what God wants to do is send a unicorn in, into your soul in a sense. Maybe what God wants to do is kind of stoke your fire, stoke the fire of your heart by moving some pieces around, by reigniting what's grown cold because maybe you've just gotten a little complacent. So friends, whether it's disruptive or whether it's nurturing, both are good, both are loving. But whether it's disruptive change or just sort of that nurturing along change, may we receive change because it's needed. Personal, physical, especially spiritual change. May we receive the change, friends, as a sign that God is still working in our lives. Okay. God is not done working. May we not be done changing.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. We pray for grace, Lord, to embrace the things in our life that are, are moving around and changing in a way that honors you. Some of the changes we've been seeking for a long time, we're celebrating them. Some of the changes, man, we don't want them to happen this way. They, and there may be brokenness involved in them. So I just pray for wisdom to discern what's true and false, broken and whole, that we would be flexible, that we would be um, not rigid in our complacency, not uh, legalistic in our religion, um, but open to the work that you want to do in us and through us. I pray that your call would be the change that we respond to with our whole hearts, knowing that you're always doing something creative when you call us to change. In Jesus' name, amen.